0: and hot uh, damn good coffee not. good morning folks people of planet earth how are you today it is tuesday february 21st 2023 that's all bye for now um today Ladonna humphrey will be my guest she was scheduled uh, a couple of weeks ago But, um, there was a ice storm where she lives in Arkansas and she was out of power and so we rescheduled and she'll be here today. She's the author of a couple of books that are, um, close case files or cold case files. I'm still asleep. Wake me up. I'll see you later. I am so out of it. Anyway, she will be here today at about 15 minutes from now. If you're just waking up and you want to know what's in the news, Vladimir (laughs) is suspending the nuclear treaty with the United States, uh, saying, you know what? I got nukes and I'm going to use them. Okay. Have a great day. See you later. Bye. That's all. Okay. Yesterday I had um, Kenny Arnoff on a special afternoon edition of Mind Dog TV program. Kenny Arnoff is the uh, drummer from John Mellencamp, John Cougar, Johnny Cougar, uh, and a a very sought-after studio musician who plays on everybody's records. Um, Great conversation and great um, insights into not only just how to be a success in the music business how to be a success in any business and um it's very apparent that he is um a big believer in uh the principles and and stuff that he puts forth so uh, great conversation i will be chopping that up into reels um just great to meet kenny and finally be able to have a conversation about him you know i've wanted for 40 years to talk about how to approach the back the supporting part of a song because the work he did on jack and diane is not if you just took the the song itself and went to any drummer you know and said, "Please play along to this." I guarantee you, they would play something soft, something very typically loungy—a boom chaka, boom chaka, side stick, bang, <laughs> Uh boom, 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 boom. That's What they would play, and so the creative thing that he put in that first of all, it's got a little stutter step, uh, at a time piece or or time shifted piece, but then it's slamming hard in the middle of a song that's uh that starts off soft and sweet. Jack and Diane, you know the riff on. So, how does that come about? Well, I think we got some insights into how that comes about yesterday. Uh, actually, they hear it. The, the tail a little bit of fear that you might lose your job is a big part of the equation <laughs> uh but we did talk about getting out of your head too many drummers believe me i've been down this road and had this conversation with so many drummers they want to think drumming is like dancing you shouldn't be thinking Drumming is a lot like dancing. You should never be thinking. You should just, you know, let, train your body the skills and then let it go and let it do what it will. Uh, I, I can say that as a person who's totally uncoordinated and has to work for every, every little skill, motor skill that I have is a big challenge for me. Born with like five left feet. but. Learn to play the drums? Can't say I never learned to dance. But I do do what I can. Anyway, uh, great conversation with Kenny, and I hope you will enjoy that. And as I chop it up into reels, I think there will be some real golden nuggets uh, from what he said. I promise you um, that I would be playing tips from Dante the Comedian. I'm going to start today. I wasn't going to start till Thursday when I actually have a comedian on. I had Andrew Riggs on last night by the way. Uh Andrew is from Kentucky, moved to New Jersey. Now he's back in Cincinnati. He might move back to New Jersey, but he's a guy who um fairly a- early on in his career w- was fortuitous enough to um start touring nationally. Some I major headliner saw him and took him on the road and uh had some good insights on, you know, how to get started and how to get past the open mic level stuff. And just some really cool insights on this, in the state of comedy. Uh, this is uh, Dante's tip. I think this is an early one. This is from, I believe, this is like... So, well, maybe about halfway through. I'm not sure what we're about to listen to. Uh, this is one of the tips from Dante. Well, let's listen to see what he has to say.
1: Hey, guys, it's Dante with another... You know what? Anywho, today I want to talk to you guys about movement. I want you to think about your 10 favorite comedians and go watch them. Watch a video. Watch them live. Go do whatever you need to do. Look at their movements. Um, I knew Chris Rock since before he was pretty famous. And his first HBO special was pretty much the same material he'd been doing. But it was about his movement and his attitude and... Everything that comes along with that. So I just want you guys to look at yourself and what kind of quirks do you have? And you need to exaggerate those because most people who are famous, you can imitate their voice, their mannerisms. If we can't do that with you, you're doing something wrong. You're the product. Make yourself interesting to us. Okay, that's it. Concentrate on movement. Oh, click. Oh, click.
0: Pretty cool. That that was a interesting way of putting that. If you can't, if if people can't do an imitation of you, you're not you're not doing enough to be a comedian. You're really not. If 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 you're not exaggerating yourself enough that people can latch on to what you are, your persona, exaggerated. That's what comedy is all about, and and some of that. It's difficult. You know, we talked about that last night with Andrew Riggs. It's looking at yourself non-judgmentally to say what what's funny about me. What movement-wise, uh, you know, physically-wise, what's funny about me? What do I need to exaggerate me? Um, and, and so that that's a that's a really good helpful tip, and definitely kind of relates to uh what i was talking about with kenny too it comes it kind of comes full circle on that good stuff we'll be talking about that um you know if anybody has any ideas about that please uh share them i'll be talking about that this thursday uh you know my guest thursday i can't I, this is i am not a um great person with with names, as you know, so Thursday, my guest is a comedian, Van Dad Carter. Uh, that's V A N D A D, K A R D E R. Have not done my homework yet. I will, but I don't know much about. I, I'm assuming that's a him. <laughs> Van, Dad, Van Dad Carter. Uh, Thursday morning. It's a very strange week because almost no comedians at all, except for last night and and then Thursday morning. But uh, on the week on the morning show, nothing as far as comedians. I don't have a guest for tomorrow's tomorrow morning show. Tomorrow is Ash Wednesday. If you're uh, one of these um, one of these Christians who uh, is going to go to church tomorrow and get ashes on your head, take the program. Blasted in the church. And you'll never have to go back again. What do you think? Sound good? Anyway. Uh, well, Donald Humphreys will be my guest momentarily, I believe. I think she's going to show up. <laughs> I, this is always a question for me. Will they show up? Uh, that I should rename the podcast. Will they show up? Anyway. Uh, cold case files is something mm, that I was obsessed with before, long before the internet. Long before the internet. Used to go to the library and pick out um, cold case file books. And a big part of that for me, and again, this is before the internet, was believing that I could solve unsolved mysteries by going to the library and looking at microfilm and digging up you know whatever i could at that again no internet it was a really difficult um process to research stuff but i had it in my mind and i don't know how i got this that i could solve cases that detectives on the ground and professionals on the ground (laughs) people who knew crime scene investigations couldn't solve but I was gonna solve them by going to the library. But I was obsessed with it. I was like, if I read enough about the story, I'm gonna find the loose thread that nobody followed up with. Never happened. A couple of times, you know, I got myself believing I was on the right track for stuff. And mostly, I would stick with very famous cases um not not very famous famous cases cases that were known but the, uh you know hollywood mysteries and things like that and jack the ripper zodiac all those kind of um things that are already out there that people have been working on for eons um i forget the guy's name now there was a, a hollywood director In the black and white days big one of the biggest directors i want to say robert taylor but that just doesn't for some reason that father knows best robert taylor um but uh supposedly mary pickford man i I have a swiss cheese memory now holds in my memory one of the biggest uh female stars of the day who was a teenager And her mother was kind of managing her career, ended up dead. And then one of these big directors was suspected of it. He he had wild orgies at his house in the days of the Fatty Arbuckle scandals and all that kind of stuff. Man, I'm old. I can't remember. It's like little seeds of memory (laughs) back there. But anyway, at that point in my life, I was obsessed with reading about and thinking that I had something to add to Cold Case Files. And I'm still of the mindset that um, if I see one of those videos, you know, I don't have television anymore, but if I'm on YouTube and there's what is uh, Cold Case or mis- Unsolved Mysteries, I'm a sucker for that. And so we're going to talk about that in just a couple of minutes with, with Donna Humphrey um what i'm I'm trying to read what william said here my glasses are, i think i need to upgrade my glasses uh yes you can come on tomorrow you can come on whenever you want you can come on today if you want you want to talk a uh, cold case with, with with donna and myself you can come come on uh to be fair it's not impossible but improbable what's not imp- impossible but improbable me solving a case from the library No, it's not impossible. It is highly improbable. People have stumbled upon clues, I guess. And I guess it will be interesting to to hear from Madonna whether she has actually, I don't want to give anything away, two books about an unsolved uh, case, and can't just come out with, hey, did you ever solve it? (laughs) Anyway, we're brought to you by, who are we brought to you by today, Johnny. Well, I'll tell you what brought to you by. the America's best coffee, one of the 10 top coffees in the world. It's Koa Coffee, and I got mine. You got yours? Try some Koa Coffee. This episode is brought to you by Koa Coffee. If you are a coffee connoisseur and want to experience the best coffee Hawaii has to offer, no blends, no compromise, try the true taste of Aloha. Koa Coffee produces premium Hawaiian coffee hand-picked, expertly roasted, and delivered from Hawaii to your door with aloha. With aloha. I don't and an award-winning 100% Kona coffee grown on the slopes of the Manaloa Volcano to so the I just read Oka beans of Maui, they strive to provide their loyal customers with the best quality and freshness. Since 1997, Koa coffee has been known far and wide as a product of utmost quality, and their awards prove it. Koa Coffee was featured in Forbes' Top 10 Coffees of the World. This is the coffee Forbes called the best coffee in America. Find out what it's all about. Go to minddogtv.com. TV find out what com. it's all about. It's, it's about slash. coffee. Coffee. What kind of line is that? Find out what it's all about. It's about coffee. Oh, it's about pretty girls running on the beach also. Because you know, enough coffee will make pretty girls go running on the beach that's what i found out find out what it's all about it's about coffee uh ladonna humphrey is with us now if i say ladonna scott please uh forgive me I, the only ladonna i've ever known in my life was uh ladonna scott and every time i hear the name i i want to say that and i have to remind myself her name is not scott anyway she doesn't have a camera turned on May i'm assuming uh maybe she's she's a little camera shy uh but she's here and in at least an audio presence ladies and gentlemen welcome with Ladonna humphrey i'm also with Donna scott LaDonna, are you there
2: i am good morning thanks for it, having me on the show
0: it's my pleasure to have you on the show um I'm going to start with, my because before you got here, I was um, talking about my obsession in the past with cold case files. For me, uh, it started innocently enough by going to the library and taking out a book uh, about, I think it was Jack the Ripper or might have been Zodiac, one of those, and started with that. And then before I knew it, I was uh, going to the library and taking out 10 books a day on on, uh, cold case files, unsolved mysteries, things like that, and believing... I could uh, make a difference and solve them. How did your um, foray into unsolved investigations start?
2: You know, my, um, I I would call it an obsession probably, started from a pretty young age. I was living in a small town in southwest Oklahoma and uh, had a pretty, traumatic event happened a man tried to kidnap my sister and I from a bowling alley and after that experience obviously the abduction was thwarted but after that experience I think I became very interested in uh, true crime just kind of like what makes uh, someone you know decide that they want to kidnap someone. And so it just kind of grew from there. And as I got older, I would read everything I could about true crime and cold cases. And some of this was like pre-internet, you know, I didn't get really into it until um, the early 90s. And then we had two pretty major things happen in the state that I live in. And that's, I'm in Arkansas. And that was the abduction and murder of Melissa Witt. And then six months after that, there was the abduction of a six-year-old girl whose name is Morgan Nick. And so that's really all of those things combined was just the catalyst for me um, to want to to know more, to get involved, to you know, to do something sort of like what you said—just that obsession to want to help contribute to solving a cold case.
0: Do you feel any uh, sense of satisfaction? Uh, I, I don't, I, I have not, I'll be honest with you. I have not read the books yet. I do plan on it. I have a very long reading list, but, and I don't want you to give the endings away. So if, if they were solved at, at any point, I don't, I don't expect you to say that. Cause that would be a real spoiler, but do you feel any sense of satisfaction from the work you do that you're making a difference?
2: I do. And it's, I will say this, it's not a spoiler. It's just pretty well known. Um, Melissa's case is not solved yet. And I've been involved in this case for about eight years. And You know, we're closer every single day to resolution in the case, but the work that I've been able to participate in has brought national attention to her case, which, you know, then brings in new leads. So, yeah, it's very satisfying. It can be frustrating, too, though, because we want to see resolution, but it's something that I am I am proud of and I'm just determined and I'm not going to give up until she has justice.
0: Right. So there's two books I'm showing the covers right now. The Girl I Never Knew and Strangled. Are they both about Melissa Witt?
2: They are. So the first book is, is pretty much about my um, involvement in Melissa's unsolved case. And then the second book does touch on her case, but it also delves into um, something called Death Fetish, which was a lead in her case. And so there's a lot to unpack in that book, but both that book does touch on Melissa.
0: And who is Alicia Lockhart?
2: Alicia Lockhart is my co-author for Strangled, and she is actually the one that called in a tip um, in the Wit case that led us to, that's what, how she and I met, and it led into the investigation into the death fetish community, and that's um, really, she's the one that got it all started, and so because of her tip, um, we delved into that world we did an undercover investigation and we wrote the book strangled and then we launched a podcast in september
0: now uh, tell me a little bit about this community that you just mentioned uh it sounds like a cult of some sort is that what we're talking about
2: <sighs> no not 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 necessarily a cult essentially death fetish the death the world of death fetish there are seedy online communities where it's primarily men thousands of men Um, all over the world gather, and they talk about and uh, make movies about and write stories about or make photos of the glorification of of violent murders of young women.
0: Now, um, that's, that's creepy. I mean, there's no other way to put this. And I remember when I I, because you're talking about when you were doing it it was before the Internet with me, too. Um, But I remember why I I stepped away and it was this extraordinary feeling of this is too dirty for me. It's too slimy for me. I don't want to know this about humanity. Uh, Have you ever gotten to that point where something is so dark that you just it it affects your soul enough that you say, I, you know, I got to I got to step away from this?
2: Absolutely. I mean, I'm dangerously close right now with the death fetish community because it is so dark. It's twisted to know that there are these types of people who, you know, their sexual gratification is reached by the thought of murder. Um, I think what drives me is that I'm a mom. I have seven kids. Five of them are daughters. And, I, you know, I'm driven to make the world a better place if I can and to expose darkness to help protect women. And the world, if I could, so to speak, I know that's a lofty goal, but that's, I think what drives me. But there, I mean, there are days that it's hard. It's hard to, to cope with the fact that there's that kind of evil that's lurking pretty much everywhere. And, you know, I've, I've immersed myself in it because of the podcast and the book and the investigation. So yeah, it can definitely be difficult.
0: Uh, the podcast you're talking about is Deep Dark, uh, Deep Dark Secrets podcast. In case anybody wants to know, when does that air? Uh, do, you, do you do it weekly, monthly?
2: It's weekly. Every Monday we have a new episode, and um, we delve into the world of death fetish. And people can visit our website at deepdarksecretspodcast.com, dot com, or pretty much they can download the podcast anywhere they enjoy, you know, whatever platform they use yeah, to enjoy yeah. their podcast.
0: Now uh, I'm going to circle back here a little bit because the reason I asked you about this this satisfaction or any kind of hint of making the world a better place, I appreciate your goal, what your stated goal, and I think it's a good thing. But uh, I look at it from two angles: the, the microcosm and the macrocosm, and. While there may be hope that you can catch this one guy, what you described is much bigger than any one person can ever make a difference. So on that level, it's got to be really frustrating because even if you catch the guy responsible for for Melissa Witt's murder, you know that this community of fetishists are out there and it's growing, right? So how how do you... I don't know, how do you reconcile that and keep going and keep keep the motivation to to make a difference?
2: You know, I think my personality is one that's just very driven. And it is a reality, just like you said, that even if and I I believe that we will get Melissa's killer, then we've still got all of this other stuff that's out there. And how can you ever scratch the surface? And one person can't, you just can't, but I can reach more people and educate them about what's going on um, through the podcast and through my books and through my advocacy work and, you know, public speaking and those things. And that can, you know, light a fire in other people and it has. And so another thing that we're doing is, you know, through this process, we are working with legislators to try to put more teeth into federal obscenity laws, which would definitely impact the death fetish community. And so that is something else that we can do that helps on a broader scale. And I just hope that the work that I'm putting into these things to educate the public will will be that spark for other people to get involved because I can't do it all by myself.
0: No, you definitely can't. But I do. That doesn't mean you shouldn't try. See, people think I I have a defeatist attitude because I am a realist and know to know that you're going up against a mountain. But that I applaud anybody who who tries to make a dent in the mountain. I just I'm not going to deny that the mountain exists. (laughs) No, and I
2: agree with you. It is one hell of a mountain. There's no doubt about that. But I think that. if I can inspire one person to make a difference and and to help take up this cause, then that helps, you know, with moving that mountain. And so really that's the focus now is how can we reach people on a larger scale? And really that's through the podcast and it's growing. I mean, it's growing pretty quickly since September, we've got 12,000 downloads now. So that's pretty good for a new podcast and we it hope is. that it keeps growing. So
0: well, congr- congratulations. It's a very, uh, hot niche i mean uh cold case files is one of the hottest niches in podcasting but that said yeah you have a very hot niche but you also have a lot of competition in that niche because people have been you know people jump on it so as soon as something becomes popular people jump in it. but i wish you a great success with that now um Let's, let, I, I, again I want to come back a little bit I, I, I have a, a tendency to rush towards the finish line here with these conversations no that's uh, okay if you don't mind me uh, probing into your personal beliefs do you believe uh, in good and evil forces of good and evil outside of each individual do you believe in a greater whether you want to call it God and the devil or just you know universal forces of good and evil do you believe they exist
2: I do, um, and I don't mind being open about, you know, my personal life at all. So, um, I mean, I do have great faith, and um, I know that can be controversial for some people. But I do believe because of my faith in good and evil, and just the experiences that I've having, I've had in life. You know, in my fifty, almost fifty years, um, I mean, I've seen it firsthand. So, yeah, for sure, I believe that.
0: All right, help help out uh, a a very lost uh, person in me. Uh, how do you maintain faith in this picture of extreme darkness that we've already painted here this morning? How do you remain have have any positive hope? How do you how do you maintain hope?
2: That is a really tough question, and I don't <laughs> want to sugarcoat the answer because it's. To me, I believe that hope is intentional. Hope is that you focus on some things that you know that are positive. And hope doesn't always come naturally. And just because you have faith or you're a Christian or whatever your belief is, I'm not going to tell the public that that just comes naturally. It doesn't. But what I do focus on is the future. And that is my children and the innocence that I see in them. And the way that they see the world. And that really gives me hope for the future. That that I can face this darkness. And make some sort of a dent. No matter how small it is. And there are days. I'm going to be honest. That I feel overwhelmed by it. Like there's nothing that I could do. To make a difference in this kind of evil. That we're uh, experiencing. So I don't, you
0: know, don't want to be that. Uh, I don't want to support that idea. Because I think you can make a difference. I just don't think you can make a big enough difference by yourself. And I, I get what you, that's what the outreach is for. That's what the podcast is for getting more people on the team. The question, it seems to be, and this is where it gets really frustrating for, for, for somebody who wants to believe in goodness uh, of humanity is that we seem to be systematically overwhelmed. I, I'll give you a, a, a an example in my area. There is an unsolved problem. Uh, serial killer and uh it's called the gilgo uh beach murders or the long island uh serial killer mur- murders uh at least well at last count at least 16 girls uh ended up dead the chief suspect was the chief of police in my area and the crime was covered up by the not only him and the entire police department but the d.a and the d.a went to jail for covering up the district attorney and the district attorney's assistant. Both went to jail for their their cover-up and not cooperating with the FBI to cover this up. So it feels like it's not just... You're not just going after a killer. You're going after a system that supports evil. (laughs) And it feels like... I don't know. It feels like some kind of really bad, demonic uh, screenplay that... The, the odds are so stacked against you that that's where it starts to feel overwhelming um in your case is, is there any sense of that greater systemic uh problem beyond the the suspect that you have in mind for this uh melissa witt killing
2: i don't think necessarily in the wit case although i see that all the time what you're talking about I mean there's so many cases that are negatively impacted by people that are sworn to protect and serve or you know you you feel like hey they should have good intentions we do see that a lot because there's other cases that we're involved in um, and that can be very disheartening I mean I'm not gonna lie it, it is it's it makes you feel overwhelmed like is <laughs> how do you ever overcome this and I just firmly believe as naively as it may sound that it takes people who are just going to be relentless in their pursuit to do what is right those people do exist i feel like i'm one of those people
0: i hope so but uh, again hope doesn't come easy for, for me especially you know the older you get the more cynical i think the world wants to make you because we we see all this darkness now in the melissa witt case do you believe and I'm not going to ask you to name him or her, but probably a him. Most of the most, let's face it, I, this is probably a controversial thing to say, but most of the evil done in the world is done by men, not by women. Uh, uh, I know there are exceptions to that, but do you believe you have a um, a suspect in mind, somebody that you believe that you you got a, a good sense that this is the person?
2: Absolutely. I, I believe we absolutely know who killed her, and uh, law enforcement is working that angle um, just very, very furiously. In fact, I had a phone call with them this morning about some things that are happening in the case, and so I'm going to write a little bit more about that in my next book. I do have a third book about the wit case coming out, and we're going to talk more about that particular suspect, All but right. yes, absolutely.
0: Now, does that person know? that that they uh, that people believe this that they are the prime suspect
2: i don't believe he wants to think that he is but he's well aware that he's on poli- the police radar he's well are you, aware
0: are you scared at all or frightened at all that um because you might be seen as a catalyst like this that you might be in some danger
2: yeah, I th- that is something that I have to cope with because I've been so public about this case. It's it's very frightening and I've had some pretty scary experiences happen because of my work on the Wick case.
0: Now, do you do you feel like cuz with your what you're doing do, do you feel like perpetrators have more rights to know about like can they do they have more rights to know about what you're doing in order to help catch them? then you have rights to actually look up and, and do your research to catch them. <laughs> if that makes any sense. I don't know. That
2: well, I think my situation is so different because I am so public. I mean, I run a social media page about the wit case that has, you know, 14,000 people that follow it. And I'm very, I'm writing books. I'm filming a documentary, all those things. So that's a little bit different. I'm also a licensed private investigator. And so I have the right to, look into these things so but I think for an average advocate yeah it would seem like the perpetrator has more rights than you do because you know it's a fine line between you know being sued for slander and you know working a cold case and there are advocates that get sued all the time because then they go to social media and they start talking about a potential suspect that's never been officially named by law enforcement and you know, that's definitely when the perpetrator has more rights. Even if they were the killer, you can't just go and do those sorts of things. So it's a fine line all the way around.
0: Right. Uh, I'm surprised I have not been sued by the Long Island, because I've named uh, my suspect in the Long Island serial murder case many times. Uh, But let's face it, he was in jail for assaulting uh, an informant who found his sex toys in his uh, his police locker. So he was in jail most of the time I was naming him. But I, I think a lot of people are on the same page as me. So I, I'm not the only one. who. But the police have never officially named him as a suspect and still to this day don't. He's out of jail now. He's on uh, parole. Uh, so um, with the podcast now, um, new subjects every week.
2: So, it's a new subject about the death fetish community. So, this our first season is only about death fetish. Next season will be something different. So, every week it's a different where, uh, topic. I'm
0: curious about seasons in podcasts. Where do you where does the, the line of seasonal, uh, <laughs> where do you draw a uh, number of shows? Is it actually by the actual seasons? Where, where, where do seasons come in in podcasting?
2: So it's different for everybody. For some people, a season might be three months. For some people, it might be six months. For us, we're actually doing um, year-long seasons. So September to September is what we chose to do because we have a lot to say about the Death Fetish community. But I think it's different for every podcaster. But yeah, and we're releasing a lot of episodes because we're doing this every single week. And not everybody does that. I mean, some people are releasing every other week or once a month.
0: Um, somebody who came who tuned in late said, "What W T F is death fetish? It sounds, uh, it sounds, I you know, just calling it that. It sounds like it, it's good marketing to draw young people into it. Death fetish sounds like something. Oh, that sounds like something cool that somebody who might be uh, into goth or something would be attracted to by just by giving it that name. Any concern with that?"
2: It could be, for sure, but it, I mean, it's the glorification, it's, I, I, we, sometimes we call it the glorification of murder, but for people who truly have a death fetish, it is, that is how they derive sexual gratification, by watching someone being murdered, and then sometimes there's acts of necrophilia, and other horrible things, so it's, it's a terrible, terrible, terrible thing. Uh,
0: I don't know if this is related, but has anybody ever talked to you about um and it's obviously a very it's not a cold case it's according to law enforcement a very solved case but i believe it was definitely uh aided and abetted by death fetish people the son of sam case
2: no i have not had any contact with anybody about that being connected to death fetish that's pretty interesting
0: well where it is is that and there's pretty substantial evidence for this, that at least the last two murders, the one that Berkowitz was was nailed for because he got a parking ticket, he was supposedly a lookout man for a van that was filming the whole thing for snuff films. So this whole thing, because this death fetish idea is not new, unfortunately, folks. Um, snuff films were in the 1970s uh, and for people who don't know, the term snuff film is what it sounds like. It's people, real murders, getting filmed, like Portal, for people who get their sexual gratification from watching murder. And the the um, the story goes, and and there's a lot of evidence for this that the son of say all of them, every single one of those murders was part of a cult that was uh, run by the same people who brought you the Cotton Club, a Hollywood production. Um, uh, in order to to film murders to create snuff films so wow I'm,
2: i'll have to look into that that would be right up our alley of what we're investigating yeah, well,
0: that's so. why it came to mind as soon as you started talking about it and again this is not new i heard about snuff films as a teenager and i i remember thinking well, it's just sick who would who would want to pay to, and what would what would you get out of that because not understanding the mindset of somebody who could be uh sexually turned on by watching somebody lose their life it's a bizarre thing um have you looked in i i'm assuming you have looked into the uh the psychiatric research on this and the cause the root cause of this uh idea of death fetish
2: We have. We have looked at that. And, you know, like, you know, for instance, uh, a portion of that necrophilia, you know, necrophilia is actually considered a mental illness. And then death fetish itself is a paraphilia. It's not necessarily right now considered a mental illness, although I have a hard time accepting that because, you know, you've got these men, primarily men, who want to see women shot, strangled, drowned, crucified. That doesn't seem very normal to me. But we've done a lot of look inside, you know, what makes these people tick. You know, we've been going into their forums undercover because they have these forums. And and most of what we're finding out is that these people are truly born with this idea that they are attracted to dead people or, or the idea of murder. And it's, it's just it's mind blowing and disgusting. Um, I really, really, really struggle with it. And what we're also looking at is the link between, you know, a consumer of violent pornography, which death fetish would fall into that, and real crime. And you would just be amazed at the kind of research that's out there. Those two things are very much linked. And, you know, we'll continue that journey to try to discover more.
0: Yeah, and this is why, man. I don't want to. I don't want to be a hope killer. And but every observation I come with, come out with, feels like it's a hope killer. This is why I I feel like society is overwhelmed on the negative side here because we know pornography uh, is extremely rampant, but it. We also know that it will. It's an escalating thing that leads to behaviors that emulate. Like, you know, men are left to their own devices, would not do half the things that they do, that they they see in pornography, but then pornography play, plants an idea in their head, and then all of a sudden that becomes <laughs> their thing. And uh, so this is, like, extremely overwhelming when we see this kind of stuff glorified, not just in pornography, but in mainstream movies to some extent, too. Um and you talked about obscenity laws now the question because uh, it, it's a slippery slope is uh, are the proposed censorship of that because in a free society it's hard to accept censorship but it's also hard to accept that if we just keep letting these ideas feed into especially young men's minds and they as they form and get older uh you know they might act upon that stuff it's it's a a tricky uh slope to manage because you have on one side you have extreme ideas that are getting out there and the other the the only only thing we can propose against that is censorship which most people would all would agree is not a good thing what where what's your uh take on that
2: i i would agree that it's a slippery slope it definitely is and from a journalistic aspect of course you know i want to reject the idea of any kind of censorship but i also reject the idea that movies that simulate the murder of young women graphic murder and acts of necrophilia those things should not be allowed to exist and it's not going to be a popular view there are people that disagree with me and that's okay. but I know from my research and the work I'm doing through our podcast, because if you listen to us week after week after week, we are talking about real murders that have stemmed from this death fetish community. These people watch this stuff and then they go on to commit these real crimes. And so I think that we need to be very careful about what what we allow to be depicted in terms of violence against women. And the way most of the you know the state obscenity laws work and not all states have them like Oregon and this stuff isn't illegal for example but other states have them is that they leave it up to the state to decide what is you know what is considered artistic value and I've yet to have anybody be able to convince me that the brutal stabbing and rape of a deceased young woman in a movie has artistic value.
0: I would would agree but I have uh, never I've never been a gore type of person anyway. I mean, that stuff turned me off in a big way. And maybe maybe that's good for me. But uh, the question, I guess, is is that genie already way too far out of the bottle? And what comes to mind is when, when I was a teenager, 1970s, there was a movie I called Pretty Maids in a Row. I don't, well, please, people, don't look this up. I mean, you can verify, fact check it, but don't watch the movie. It was a mainstream movie starring Rock Hudson and Angie Dickinson. And Rock Hudson played uh, a guidance counselor who was raping and murdering teenage girls and leaving them dead on the football field. And that was the, the whole premise of this movie. It was filled with, you know, R rated sex. And it was all about the murder of pretty maids all in a row, young girls, by a guy, guidance counselor. That was seen as a dark comedy, which is it's, it's totally freaky, by yeah. two of the country at the time most popular actor, actresses in Hollywood. And it was a, a mainstream Hollywood production. Now, you don't see it around anymore, thank goodness. But uh, so the question is, is, is that <laughs> that was f- almost 50 years ago now so it's a genie all way too far out of the bottle to ever make a difference with that to kind of say we need to look at what is art and what is isn't art and what can what can be put in a film never mind pornography mainstream movies
2: i mean the 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 real answer is that it's not going to be easy if at all even completely possible to accomplish what we want to accomplish right. here
0: that's that, that, that at all possible because I could see it coming down to just constant litigation every single film that we've can made uh a director or author or somebody would got have to go to justify why they put this in the movie and can and you you know you can go that could be an endless road so i i, I feel what you're doing and i i, I want to see the world a better place. But it feels, you can see why I feel hopeless, right?
2: No, and that's fair. I mean, that's a fair assessment. But I mean, I think I would add to that is that, you know, you you look at, let's, you think about mainstream pornography, places like Pornhub, those kind of places. There's just the mainstream, what you would consider more normal pornography. I don't partake of pornography, but just for all intents and purposes, um, (laughs) that's what we'll call it.
0: You know, i don't even, i'm sorry I, I i have to i don't think there's any I, I, you know I, i'm not an expert on this but i don't think there's anything normal about any of those if there's an internet site selling porn they're going for the, the most depraved thing because
2: it's pretty at, disgusting
0: yeah it's all crazy but i'll let you continue your point there <laughs>
2: <laughs> no that's okay no but you know, you've got sites like that, that they don't allow death fetish pornography on their sites because oh. they're can, they're saying that is sick and wrong. And so I think when you look at it from the as- that aspect, because for me personally, I think pornography is all the way around, not a, a good thing at all. You've got those people who somewhat think that some kind of porn is okay, but they feel like death fetish is over the line. And so I that gives me a little bit of hope that even people who Maybe don't have the same kind of faith that I do or the same kind of beliefs that I do still sees the uh, inherent evil in this. And so that that motivates me. And honestly, my children motivate me to keep going. It may be hopeless to somebody and. And that's okay, but if we make a difference in one particular, in one life through all of this, if we can protect one girl from getting involved in this or prevent one murder, then all of this work will have been worth it.
0: Part, part of it, the thing that baffles me is human nature because it's like when you say we can prevent one girl from getting involved in anything like this. A lot of these cases see him like typically like you're watching a if if you read it back or or watch it back feels like you're watching a typical really bad friday the 13th movie like don't don't open the door stupid don't 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 get in the car what are you doing haven't you seen the movies and a lot of a lot of the stuff could be avoided by not doing the stupid thing that they do in the heart oh don't open the door that they you know and smart people make these dumb mistakes over and over again and end up costing them their lives. And that's a big part of this is like, um, you, <laughs> you want to be, you're, you don't want to be totally a cynic like I am and not trust anybody and just be cold to the world. But at some point you have to kind of, um, get a little, uh, harder edge to, to people and and think twice about it. A lot of, a lot of this could be avoided with a little more less, Uh, open trusting of everybody right but that's not a good message is it (laughs) Uh,
2: well i mean i don't know i don't trust anybody i mean i've seen the dark side of life now at this point and so i'm not very trusting at all you know when you feel compelled to tell your children you know cause you see it on the news every day that, you know, people are getting kidnapped. You don't let, don't go to the second location. Don't let, you know, don't let somebody take you to the second location because you know that that's probably where they're going to get murdered. You know, there are things like that that I've taught my kids at a very young age that makes me sad. And it's because I don't trust the world. It's because Mm -hmm. the world is a really bad place. Yeah. But I, but I think that it takes people who are willing to shine the light on very bad things. And maybe that's not, you know, doing everything in your power to stop it. But I think shining a light on evil at least educates people to see that it's happening. And then what they do with that information is up to them. Do they act more safely? You know, do they react to the world differently? That's really up to them. But I think for the light bearers who want to say, hey, this is happening, that that's a pretty big deal. And it's an act of bravery. Uh-huh. And And we need more people like that.
0: Um, and I don't want to get to all, all down to the whole political uh, thing about policing in America right now, but as a private investigator, do you think number one from looking from the outside looking in at police departments, are they do we have police departments and police officers and uh, men and women who are trained and professional or, Because my take on this, and I think this is a big part of our problem in America right now, is people who are gravitating towards law enforcement careers are high school graduates who are looking for a 20-year in-and-out retirement plan, not necessarily uh, motivated from the start about serving the community to protect and serve. But then beyond that, they're not trained in the way that you would want police, uh, you know, people who are whose duty it is to protect and serve should be trained in a way that, first of all, they are extremely educated, not, you know, I think uh, more educated or at least as educated as lawyers and doctors are. I think that that would go a long way. It, but also confident and, and knowing and cool and collected and all those universal educational traits that we want super people (laughs) uh, in law enforcement from your perspective, outside looking. And do you think that is a problem in, in, in dealing with evil?
1: Yeah,
2: I think that I think that that is a problem. It it definitely can be a problem. I I think in every industry that you would look at that you're going to have some sort of issue with training and professionalism and the reasons why people get involved. I've also had really good experiences with law enforcement who, you know, stop at nothing to get to the truth and do the continuing education and training to be able to better respond to these kind of um, crimes that are happening in their communities. So I think it just really depends on each individual person each individual department but i think i've seen both i've seen the good and the bad uh,
0: i would agree with you but i would also say it's a societal thing where and i i i'm not believe me i'm not anti-cop but what i am is i think we we show what we value by what we're willing to spend money on and i brought, brought this up in a discussion about nurses being well underpaid uh you know, especially hospice nurses and end of end of life and, and nursing home nurses. We the fact that we pay people the way we do, and athletes are multimillionaires, shows what we value in this world. And so, as a society, I feel like we don't value a well trained police department or a well well trained policing enough. And then we're quick to say, "Oh, look, look, this is police brutality," or whatever it is that blaming cops who really were never trained to be good cops. And, and that, that all facilitates the whole thing. So it's a, a an endless circle of crimes being committed and people focusing maybe not on the right places and people feeling overwhelmed about how uh, they should be solving crimes and approaching to these things. So all these things lead into a very hopeless scenario, which I don't want to paint in the morning for people, but here I am doing it um so it's a really difficult thing the the policing of all this stuff but you found cooperation and are they open to working with private investigators who who like because a lot of cops are working a case they're gonna say this is my case but uh and somebody like you come in and say i think i have something you should look at might be uh why are you button in why are you why are you shut you know.
2: Yeah, like, I mean I I see that and I also have seen the flip side of it. You know, in terms of the wit case, I really earned the respect of the department just from some of the work that I did on the case and some things that I was able to help contribute and bring in some new leads. Um I think every department is different, just like every person is different. And so there are definitely people who embrace it and there are definitely police departments who say we don't want to work with a private investigator get out of here
0: and i would i'm not gonna say i know but i would assume or guess i would make a guess that the bigger the city the bigger the departments get the more uh the bureaucracy is out of control and that's when you get those kind of things that stifle things There, here in new york where i am we have you know in my small town, we have more people than than some major cities in in America. So, you know, when when things get too big, they get they get death where corruption starts, where you know, the group, groups and organizations get a little too big. Uh, I do want to be respectful of your time and, and let you go. I um, the death fetish community. I'm curious, do these people identifying because <laughs> i know this might sound like a stupid question but people are becoming more and more open about their vices and uh, telling the truth about who they really are and sometimes w- waving a, a flag of pride about some of their vices and stuff the people in death fetish i'm a death fetish guy
2: uh not typically to their their circle of friends and family they don't mind talking about it behind a fake screen name in a forum oh, but yeah. very few of them are going to admit who they are and so that's why some of the work that alicia and i are is doing is important and i'll tell you this and i know that my time is running out here but um you know there are some people that are running businesses across the united states that make these films so we're pulling business licenses because that's public information. And then we're, we're outing these people in a podcast and we'll say, Hey, Salem, Oregon, we'd like to introduce you to John Marshall Washburn. And he is producing this filth in your community. So they don't really like it, but it's not illegal what we're doing. And so they don't typically want to do that on their own. Um, They like to hide behind a screen name and what does that tell you they know what they're doing is wrong and is going to be perceived as horrific and so we're just trying to shine that light and say this is happening you know take a look
0: right uh we did talk a little bit about censorship and i i am going to let you go but i I, we talked a little bit about censorship the dark web i think there's no reason for the dark web to exist is there
2: no not at all
0: so how how is that censorship by shutting that down? Because you know it's one thing to cry censorship, but to say why does it need to hide in the shadows? If if, there, if you're not doing anything wrong, do it on the regular web and where we can monitor you. Uh, do you feel like I, I, I'm maybe on the right track here? That doing away and, and can we possibly do away with something like the dark web? I guess it's the first question, but is that a start here?
2: I think it would be a start but i think it's important to point out that a lot of these forums these online death fetish forums are on the surface web it's not the dark web now there's wow. definitely some in the dark web but there's definitely a lot that you can easily access i mean but it's like are we you know in terms of getting rid of the dark web are we ever going to be able to get rid of murder in general well no. Do we, no Will we ever be able to get a you know rid of organized crime which that's primarily what's happening on the dark web no but i think if we talk about it and we be real about it happening and we educate people on the dangers of it
0: then
2: then we're doing our job and we're being responsible
0: um, I, I i hear you. i'm i'm still affected by a, a lady i talked to a couple of weeks ago who was married for 10 years and the cops came to her door looking for her husband who was she and notified her that her husband was trying to buy two young girls 14 and 11 on the dark web and i was uh, wow uh, that's and, awful. Uh, yeah, right. And, and imagine uh, the police coming to you and telling you your husband has been trying to buy young girls for sex. You know, uh, 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 how that's, do you process? That's
2: you don't. That's horrific. That's no. awful.
0: And she married less than five years later to somebody else. Like, how do you ever trust anybody ever again? Um that's a whole other discussion but i do appreciate you coming here and having this discussion i do hope uh the the books are selling is there another book coming are you anticipating um... there
2: is i've got four books that are coming out this year and i'll have a third book in the wit series that's coming out closer to september
0: wow the book is uh the books are the current that are currently out the girl i never knew and strangled there is a link in the description to uh ladana's amazon page i guess the books you're talking about that are coming out will be on that same amazon page
2: they will yeah, absolutely
0: okay and the podcast is called deep dark secrets podcast uh and it's out when do you publish every monday Every Monday, and it's everywhere podcasts are, or uh, Spotify, uh, iTunes, all that kind of stuff.
2: Yes, anywhere that someone enjoys their podcast, they can get it.
0: great thank you for for coming. We'll check it out, and I wish you great success and good luck with the uh, mission you're on. Uh, thank you.
2: Thanks for having me here today.
0: My pleasure. And and be safe, please. Uh, don't don't get don't become a statistic because of trying to do good.
2: Oh, thank you. I won't. I'm gonna do my best not to. So bye thank you now. again. Bye okay,
0: bye. Well Donna Humphrey, folks. Uh well, you gotta applaud our, her intention. Um a crazy dark evil world, folks. I don't know, do you believe in good and evil? This is this is a question that I've asked a lot of people, and I stopped asking it because It always ends up becoming a religious thing and it doesn't necessarily have to be a religious thing but uh for me it's kind of undeniable that there is a force of darkness i don't know whether it it exists in the universe and works on the human spirit or whether we are born we human beings are born with some capacity for evil that is always trying to bubble up to the surface, I don't know, of course, I don't know. I don't know anything about this stuff. I am curious about this stuff, but when you hear about death fetish and guys who get off watching people get murdered, what else can you conclude that but we are a sick, broken species uh, i'm gonna end with a um just a short story about when i was working in pathology there was a, a guy who was a deaner the deaner is a guy who actually cuts up bodies in autopsies. he's the guy who takes a saw and saws your rib cage open and saws the top of your head off to take your brain out he takes a black and decker saw The guy who was working in the department with me was a bit of a creepy dude. And there were rumors about him for a long time. And then one girl told me he had been taking underage girls into the morgue for sex in coffins. Next to dead people. Like, the morgue, you know, was pretty full most of the time. And you'd find a dead box, uh, an empty dead box, and bring young girls, underage girls in there and was caught on videotape doing it. Um, you know, that kind of sickness, as weird and disgusting as it sounds, i got news for you It's not that uncommon which is a scary thought in itself all these kinds of things open up the door to acknowledging evil and then if we acknowledge evil do we run the risk of becoming um accept accessible to it questions for you my friends uh, Write to me, let me know what you think, info at minddogtv.com, info at minddogtv.com. I've got a show tonight, but I'm thinking of canceling tonight. I tell you why, because I'm overworked, I have <laughs> I have shows to pump out, and tonight's program is upgrading capitalism for the computer generation, digital generation, whatever. And after a week, and with a very full week like this, this is feeling like one I want to reschedule. So I don't know if I'm gonna be around tonight for this. And tomorrow, no guest on the morning show. Willie may pop in. Uh what what did Willie want to talk about? I forgot. Well, I'm gonna go back and see in the comments what he uh said he wanted to talk about tomorrow. I think he wanted to talk about uh, his death fetish or something. Uh you no, know, he wanted to bring uh being he wanted to talk about uh joys of being raised in a Catholic home. Well, let me tell you something. You don't have to teach me about cat- Catholicism. I grew up in uh very Catholic. Uh, neighborhood. Uh, part of the Catholic Church, which I rebelled against at seven years old because I got beat by a nun for my sneakers squeaking on a newly waxed church floor as we practiced for our First Communion. Which brought back some bad traumatic memories. Anyway, so that's what will be happening here tomorrow morning. Me and Willie. And by the way, three bucks. Good go to the GoFundMe page. Wheels for Willie. Three bucks, you cheap fox. Bucks. <laughs> Three bucks—that's the least amount I think Gun, uh, GoFundMe will uh, allow you to donate. But put Willie, Willie on the road, so he doesn't have to come here and tell me about Catholic stories. Let's get him in a car, driving around the country, catching bad guys with with Ladonna. That's what we want to do, anyway. Okay, I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna head out now and tell you all. Uh, Have a great day, uh, and don't forget to turn on your radio. Bye for now.